Stock Dads are back for season two of their hit podcast, Stocks and Sandals. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to build generational wealth. So tuck in your t-shirt, put your Crocs in sport mode, and let's grill up some profits. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Zabala. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. This is your host, Mike Sabala, and I am joined, as always, by DJ Brown. And today, DJ, I think we have a contender for sexiest accent on the uh, on the show. I, I think so. I, I think so. <laughs> we uh, yeah, we've had some sexy accents on here. Um, but uh, our guest today, Lloyd Ross, uh, is definitely up there. I might have to give him the top notch. I mean, I, I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for an Australian accent. So, uh, Lloyd, uh, welcome to our um, ridiculousness of a show. Um, you know, as you can see, we're very unprofessional. Uh, we don't like to make or take ourselves too seriously um but thanks for joining us today man thanks man i'm so excited to have won the sexiest accent i've been waiting so long <laughs> to, to take that title you heard it right away the second he talked everybody everybody watching and listening just swooned i know it yeah i'm um, gonna be putty this episode yeah sorry lloyd but like our listener base is like 99 percent male and then just mike's mom so <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start rolling out the accent real heavy for his mom. There yeah. you go. I like mom, she's a she's a catch. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good old Brenda. Yes, she is. All right. Um. So thanks again for joining us today. Uh, you have a pretty unique and really interesting story. Um. So like, our topic today is like the financial mindset, which I know is like a passion of yours, and that's kind of what kind of what you're going to talk about. But normally, this, this episode will be a little bit different. I mean, it's going to be less like, I, I want to say it's going to be less interviewee, uh, Mike, right? I mean, it's going to be more just like, I, I just want to pick your brain and hear your story and kind of like, you know, how you got where you are, how you, you know, came up with your uh, money mindset, like whole shtick. And I just want to kind of chat about that. So I'm going to take, I'm going to just kind of kick it right over to you. Introduce yourself tell the people who you are, you know, and then just kind of tell us your story. Okay, cool. Well, my name is Lloyd Ross and I am based down here in Australia. Um, and, uh, well, the short story is, you know, I went to university like everyone else and didn't know what I was going to be when I, when I grew up. And, uh, I actually ended up be becoming a qualified lawyer. Then ask me why I lasted one day and <laughs> I was like, this ain't, this ain't for me psychologically unemployable. It's not, it's not in me. So, I went overseas, got a job in Abu Dhabi in real estate development and finance. Pretty awesome at 24. Started investing in stocks around then. I picked up a book by Warren Buffett, The Snowball, in an airport. And I was like, what is this stock thing that everyone's talking about? I was a property guy. Anyway, started investing in stocks back then and uh, eventually left there and went into real estate, real estate marketing and, and, and sales. Kept investing in stocks, kept investing in stocks and became a real Warren Buffett fan. And... Uh, Invested in his Berkshire Hathaway at like 80 bucks a share uh, before the bull market a lot. And that really built the basis for my first million dollars in shares. And I hit that by the age of 36, became a millionaire um, in, a, in terms of having a share portfolio of a million bucks. But um, in that time frame, built a business that, that, that were two businesses actually that produced great income and left my job. 
which is awesome in my thirties. So, mm. uh, tremendous result. I was happy with that. But, and now I, I wrote a book called money grows on trees and, and I got, you know, teach people about financial mindset and, and investing and, and, uh, started that business last year in COVID. So I'm excited about it. It's great helping a lot of people. And so I love to do. Yeah, man, that's, that's uh, important. That's what it's all about. You know, that's, that's what stock dad's all about too. Just helping people and, you know, kind of taking people on this journey with us. Like Mike and I kind of started to really get into the financial world and caring about it and paying attention to it, you know, last year when COVID hit as well. And, you know, we, we decided, Hey, you know, we're going to bring people on our journey while we learn about it. Cause there's a ton of people out there that are like us that have never really paid any attention to it. And, you know, just kind of need that extra kick in the pants. So your story goes a little bit deeper. Uh, I, I mean, I was looking into you a little bit and I was, you know, watching some videos and stuff that you've put out. I want, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about like your, like a situation that happened back when you were uh, a young guy, young kid and like just kind of how it really shaped, you know, your, your kind of path moving forward. Tell me a little bit about that. When I was 11, my dad, um, he, he, he's a real amazing dude. Like he was a millionaire at 28 and he used to like, he came from poor. He used to steal milk money off people's balconies even as a kid to make like, it was bad. And, and so he's amazing. And, and he always encouraged me and I watched the way he worked and everything. So he, he built one of the biggest companies in the state, multimillionaire. He sold it for 25 million. Anyway, long story short, some bad things happened with that company and the, the contracts and it got stolen off him and I went to court, but we lost everything then. And I was 11. And I remember he came into the lounge room and spoke to me and sat down and said, listen, we've lost everything. Now I'm a le- I'm like 10 or something. Right. And I'm like, the way he was going on about it, it was bad. So I started crying and like, well, my God, they were like, you know, as a kid. And and that's when it was like, far out. We're going to go through some changes. And we went right down the bottom and then back to like the basics. And we'll live, we're eating a lot of spaghetti for dinner. You know, that's, I asked my mom, how did we survive? She goes, well, we had a lot of spaghetti. But it was this big drop. And then I saw how much money affected people's lives. And then the, the, the come out of it from my dad, how he came back. So I got to experience that my whole life. And I think money just became this important thing for me from that traumatic conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, that yeah. is a pretty traumatic thing to happen, especially at that age. Anybody, I mean, if, if I, you know, if, if my wife came to me and said something like that now, I mean, I'd be, you know, devastated. I would, well, yeah, it, it's brutal. I, it's, it's a bit more deeper than that without going into the details, but it was, it, it was gnarly, but for my dad, especially, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Do you, you uh you mentioned how your dad would steal uh like milk money off of people's uh like patios and stuff. I'm pretty sure DJ still robs his uh all his kids' classmates of their mm-hmm. lunch money. Yeah, no, I, it's a daily routine. Hold him by uh, hold him up by the ankles, shake him down, you know, get you know, whatever yeah, change yeah, yeah. I can, you know. Do what you gotta do, man. Yeah, yeah. That's my no. financial plan. So hey, <laughs> yeah. it works. No. So so I did want to talk about, cause you know, you, you talk about having like a, you know, like a money mindset, right? So I guess, can you just like walk us through, you know, so say, so me as an example, right? So say I'm in like a bank, I'm a bank teller, right? And I don't earn like a ton of money, but you know, I can make ends meet and stuff. And, you know, I don't know a whole lot about finance or, you know, 
how to get out of my job or how to grow my wealth or build like generational wealth or like anything like that. Right. So can you kind of walk us through like what it might look like? Where, like, where would I even start if that was my situation? Yeah. Good question. Far out. Well, I don't know where it comes from, but there has to be this desire inside of you to level up. Like there has, to, if I was a bank teller, I'd be like, how do I become the bank teller manager? Then how do I become like the bank branch manager? Like, oh, you have to have this ambition inside of you. And I don't know where it comes from. Some have it, many don't. Um, you want to be able to become better and you want the validation, you know? So I was always like that. So I guess the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you have a dream? Do you have a dream of, of living a certain life? Do you have a dream of leveling up? Is that something that's inside of you? And if it is, then you would be seeking answers to certain questions. Like I would be, if I was a teller at the bank, I'd be thinking, well, what does that person do to get to that level in the company? And, and what do I need to do? And what books am I going to read? And I talk about in my story in my book about my grade 11 teacher. He said to us, gentlemen, if you leave this school, there's two things you need to do. Read this book and this book. It was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson. And I read them straight away. I had the ambition to read them. I don't know how many kids in that class did. But I was like, thank you. I was looking for an answer. So I would say to that bank teller, you've got to be curious about money. You've got to be curious about success. And that means go and get those two books and start there. If you can't finish those two books, I'm sorry to say to you, but you're probably not going to be wealthy. Like straight up. You, you, if you can't finish a book on money, you probably can't finish many things. And people who are wealthy finish what they start. Um, so I would say to that bank teller, read books and, and find a mentor within that environment to level up and get more money. I think that's super, you know, I think that's really powerful, like thought, like, is it, you know, something is as seemingly simple as you know reading a book or, or doing some like it's just taking that extra step that extra initiative that you have to take to to get to this point like there's there's really i mean there's two ways that you get rich right i mean one of them is you know you get super lucky and you win the lottery something like that right and the other way it, well i guess there's three ways second way is you're born into it third way you actually have to work for it right i mean it does you don't just like it doesn't just happen okay um, you have to learn, you have to work, you have to continue to um, challenge yourself and push your limits and step out of your comfort zone. So I think that's really important. So, um, and also I do love both of those books as well. Highly recommend. Um, so definitely check those out. Um, so you, you wrote a book uh, and called Money Grows on Trees, which obviously is the exact opposite of what everybody else in the world has ever told anybody, right? Which is that money doesn't grow on trees. And we're listening to a dad podcast. So I know that there are dads listening right now that have told their children money doesn't grow on trees. So talk to me a little bit about your book. Obviously, like we want the people to go and, and buy it and, you know, read it and learn all of it. So don't give us, don't give us all the trade secrets, but give us, you okay. know, give, well, give us some of the, you know, like an outline, you know, a little bit of what, what kind of things that you try and teach people in there. Well, it's funny, like I could tell them everything in the book and they still wouldn't remember on them. They'd still learn from it. So that's one, one thing I've learned being an educator is that they, they people eat an elephant one chunk at a time. But um, the reason I called it that was to interrupt the pattern, to change the beliefs. Um, you know, my second book I'm writing now is called Money Buys Happiness. It's going to release next month. And it's just this plan of words to just flip people's mindset that, hey, these things that you heard, Look, it's just a story you get told as a kid and you either get told a good money story or a poor money story. 
And the greatest thing about it is you get to change the story because that's all money really is, is a story you tell yourself. And our environment obviously has the, and a massive impact on that initial, those initial chapters. But within the book, I just, it's a very, very, very simple book. It's, it's not long. It's priced at five bucks. Like it's, it's really there to give people this entry level experience into learning about money. Because I think one of the greatest travesties of wealth creation that people don't understand is that no one reads. So if you can pick up a book that's short, easy to digest and gives you all the nuggets and principles that I've learned in 13, 14, oh, my whole life, it'll at least give you the next step. And that's what I love about it. And it talks in there, it's a rough, rough idea of what it talks about is your money is a story and unpacking where that's coming from and changing your environment to, to write a new story. And you, you have permission to do that. Not that you need it, but you have it. And then it talks about the money archetypes. What, how, what's your personality type like in how you experience and uh, behave around money because money is 80% behavior, 20% knowledge. And then it talks about being able to um, manage money, basically being able to create money and then being able to grow money. And those are the three concepts that, yeah, if you can't manage it, you're not going to have a dollar to save. And if you can't create more somehow, then you're going to find it a long time to grow it. And then how do you grow it? Is property the only answer? No, it's shares and how I did that. And just it's just compartmentalized to make it very simple. Um, and that's, yeah, it's been wonderful. I've been doing like 20 book sales a day. Um, so you mentioned money archetypes. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm assuming is that something like that's in there that you've come up with different kind of archetypes or are these like, you know, common knowledge? I'm just wondering if you'd share what archetypes. <laughs> I thought they were common knowledge, but you know, like I didn't learn them until I was in my thirties. I thought far out, I didn't, never learned this. A uh, good good mentor of mine, he used to work closely with T. Hal Becker. In fact, he was his number one trainer for T. Hal Becker, Peak Potentials. And he's been my mentor for a number of years. And he taught me about them. I thought, oh, I thought I knew everything about money until you showed me those. So the money archetypes are just personality types around money. There's four key ones. Some, some argue there's more. But one would be like the spender archetype, someone who spends more than they really should. The avoider archetype, someone who like gets anxious about numbers and doesn't even want to look at their bank account. The hoarder archetype where they just hoard so much money, they don't even deploy capital to invest it because they're too scared of, of, of losing it. And that's where the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, and then the fourth archetype is the money monk. And this is where people's environment has imp impacted it so much that they think money is evil and dirty and they don't even want to hold it. And they think all rich people are evil. And Disney has probably parted a lot of that. <laughs> But, you know, but that's where they grow up. So they, they're the type of people that instead of buying, they, they want to save one tree by tying themselves to it instead of buy, using money to buy the forest. And that's the money monk. So they're the core archetypes that pop up about how people are. When they are aware of them, they can then start to transition to make a change. But if you, aren't, you don't know how you are around money, then you can't, you can't change. So, right. Yeah, I think it's interesting because as you describe those, like I've always felt like I have pretty good spending habits, right? but like i really just don't buy anything <laughs> like so you know but um well can i challenge you on that for a second mike yeah because I, I i've been thinking about this for the last week and it's funny you bring that up because i think people think that not spending is like the ultimate pathway now it's important to do that to save of course so i'm not suggesting go out and spend frivolously but what if you are a spender archetype and instead of spending money on shoes, you spent money on stocks? What if you spent money on leveling up through a course? I mean, I can look back and I think I've spent $100,000 on my own financial 
IQ and, and, and I've done courses. I've done money in you with the, the Robert Kiyosaki. I've done, I've done Tony Robert. I've, I've invested in myself so I can spend money. But what are you spending it on, I think? So if you're a spender archetype, spend it on good stuff. Yeah, and I think that kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier about just wanting to, you know, level up to that next kind of, you know, stage. But one of the things you did said is that, that you know, this can be hard because, you know, it's not something we were ever, like, taught. Like, this isn't a subject like you get taught in school, really, or anything, you know? I guess what is your advice for someone that, wants to learn about this stuff like they like they're at a point where they're ready to you know take that step they just aren't really sure where to start well it's funny i think the reason it doesn't get taught in school is because it's not part of the curriculum but if they just had a few books besides william shakespeare for us to read we would all do better i don't know why that's still not happening but what's fascinating at the moment is youtube is actually disrupting the education i mean you i I don't know if university is going to be around in 50 years. I just think it's it's becoming pointless. And they're just overvalued courses, effectively. So I think there is plenty of stuff to learn. I mean, realistically, you can get on YouTube and have a, have a world-class education without having to pay for it. So I would say, if you ain't starting there, then I don't know what you're doing. But Google, YouTube, and of course, books. Now, buying books from people who have walked the path is obviously a smart idea because you're just modeling what they're doing. So the last time I checked, success is easier when you're just modeling model someone else has done it so i'd say pick up a book yeah like pick up a book yeah i think that's the place to start like you know you don't have to it's not money is actually really simple it's not as complex as what people think it's not like mathematics and calculus it's not like that in fact when i buy a stock i it, it, it has to be such an easy spot that if you've got to work hard to figure out whether you're going to invest your money in this stock you shouldn't touch it you know money is so simple it really is so i would Start at the beginning, saving, creating, and growing money is the good play. I mean, I think, you know, I love that you mentioned investing in yourself because I think that that's like a, that's something that I've, you, you kind of mentioned two two things and, and, and to some people, they're kind of contradictory. So, and I, I'm going to just kind of touch on those. So one of them is investing in yourself, right? And then the second one is that there's a wealth of knowledge out there that's for free, right? On like YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, you know, there there's value to both. And, and I think, you know, like the the value to, you know, all the free education is it, it gives you just an, an absorbent amount of information where you can experience a lot of different things. Like you can taste test, right? You can, you know, learn this and this and this and this and kind of start to shape out what you want and what works for you and your mindset and your, you know, your lifestyle and that kind of stuff. And then there's, you know, there's things like shameless plug, but our discord, right. Or your book, you know, or things like that, where it's like, you know, it's an investment. Right. And a lot of times, you know, we get this, sometimes we get like this, uh, people have sticker shock or whatever, when they see, you know, our discord and, and, but what they don't realize and, and what we try and express to them is that we've collected and we've, we've really narrowed down that learning experience so that it's not so broad and expansive where, you know, it's like drinking from a water hose. So, I, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast before, but like, you know, YouTube is like drinking water from a fire hose, right? Well, you know, now it's like you go into the Discord and while it's still a, a lot of information, it's more of a slow drip, right? So you can take all of it in and it's a little bit more organized and there's a lot more shaping to it. And And I think that's the same thing for, you know, like a book like yours and the courses that you mentioned, you know, like Robert Kiro Kawasaki and, you know, Tony Robbins and stuff like that. It's an investment. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I think totally. 
can save yeah. you a lot Look, of money in the long run on on oh, mistakes too. Without a without a doubt, like one of my courses, investing mastery, is I've had people do that course with me, and it's not it's so affordable, and they do it, and I reckon I've saved them five thousand, like saved them money, not even how much they're going to make, but just the saving. I had one lady save eight grand in a year just from reading my book, like it. So here's what I here's what I do know <clears throat> that yeah, it, the beginnings of the free stuff is just the start. It is so much better when you can pay and accelerate your learning by paying for the shortcuts. Like that's what you do by buying books and buying courses and signing the Discord. But I think if you pay, you pay attention. That's the difference. So like I know that if I pay ten thousand dollars for a course, I'm paying more attention than if I got it for free. And that's I think that's really what it did. It commits people to accountability. Hundred percent. That's, that's what they're paying for. They got skin in it then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've we've said the same thing too. Like, why don't you have a free section? You know, why don't you know all that kind of stuff? And and we did at one point, and we may in the future have a modified version of that or whatever. But it, every time we've tried something like that, you know, when it's free, people come in, they don't take it seriously. No, they don't. You know, it's it's like it kind of makes the culture a little toxic. You know, because it's yeah. just people in there that are just there to screw around. And but when yep. we the second we went, you know, to premium only like our our culture and our you know like our community like the quality of it skyrocketed because like everybody that's in there like had a desire to learn and i think that that's a huge part of a financial mindset is the desire to learn kind of like you said so there's laws in the universe i know it's i don't want to get woo woo here but (laughs) i'm about to get all into mysticism i was straight up like i save money invested you know but there's laws in the universe that actually they're principles and laws that you just can't break. And one of them is like the law of compensation, the law of attraction. Uh, and you can go through working with the law and you can see all this stuff happening. But um, the secret was obviously all about that. But there's laws, there's more of them, just one. But one of them is that you, when you spend money, you're, you're, you know, you, you're, you're giving it away. You know, it, it comes back to you. Like if you're giving value it comes back to you if you're spending it comes back to you and i think that i've seen my dad do this where he spends on all the right things boom, 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 and it just comes back in folds and folds and folds and so you have to let money flow through you as well not not all of it of course but there's an element of giving money away or buying things and doing your part to level up and if you buy them people are going to come and buy stuff off you like it just finds its way around like i did a, i bought a an inner circle package once for like three or four grand and the owner of that course ended up having me on his podcast. And the amount of books and courses I sold from that was incredible. It's just three times as much. So if you're investing in yourself in the right things, it will come back and pay you dividends at some point, you know? So, yeah. So on the topic of investing, right? So not, not in yourself, but I mean, we're a stocks group, right? We're all about investing in the stock market and stuff like that, you know? Um, like we've talked to a lot of different people about like different strategies and of like, you know, how to pick stocks, like what stocks to pick, you know, like there's a lot of different ways you can invest in the market. And I'm just curious, like when you are looking at at stocks or equities or whatever, you know, how do you make a decision on what you're going to buy? I don't buy many. I have four positions. Right now, my biggest position is like six hundred thousand dollars in one. It what I've learned from Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and all the super investors is that it's the focus on great businesses that do the heavy lifting for you. And most of your money 
will be made sitting on your ass. And and that's the type of money I like to make. You know, I don't like to grow. That's the whole idea of investing. The idea of investing is so you don't have to hustle. It's not a hustle thing. It's not a trading experience. I don't know one single trader who's in the top 10 wealthiest people in the world. They're, those guys own businesses or invest in businesses. Uh, so how I pick a stock is it's all about, is this a great business that's going to be around in 30 or 40 or 50 years? And can that business compound or return its capital or invest in itself and re return a reasonable amount of money back on those dollars it's investing in itself? And so, and is it selling at a reasonable price? So for example, I might invest, like save up and deploy one big position every two years. But that business is going to be high quality, which means it's got a very high return on equity without employing a lot of debt. It's got a great brand and uh, it's got a you know very sizable and deep moat that makes it very hard to compete with. And it's going to be around for a long time because if I do that and I just pick one, it'll either 10x or 50x my money, you know, and, and that's all I want to do. And yeah. I, does that make sense? I, and, and yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I think, you know, like the, the you know, it's, it's interesting to hear different strategies and everybody's, you know, different opinions and stuff because some people would like shy away at putting, you know, 25% of their, you know, portfolio or, or more in one position, you know, when you believe in a company and you understand it and it's something that you are confident in that's been proven and stuff like that, you know, like more power to you, you know what I mean? Like, I think that, you know, it's interesting you talked about moat and, and I posted something on, on our Instagram today um, that talked about moat and, and people were, you know, asking about that. So I think this would actually be a, a, a good opportunity to, cause to explain what that is for our listeners that may not know what, what a company's moat is. Cause I mean, they think castles and crocodiles and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So yeah. it's kind of similar, but go ahead and explain what that is okay. for listeners. Cool. Well, it is about castles, uh, and and it it it's a term obviously used in the media, media, medieval days where if you have a large moat that's deep and wide and it's got piranhas in it, and it, you know the people people aren't going to attack the castle. So the the people are competitors. So can the competitor your competitive advantage away? Can they? If you start earning large profit margins as a company, you will attract the piranhas. They will just come at you. The sharks will come. They want a piece of the profit mark profits. And that creates competition and competition is what re reduces profit margins and, and returns of companies to the point where they're not making any margin and they're not worth much. So you've got to be careful. You don't invest in businesses where they don't have a competitive advantage, where they don't have one of these big wide moats. How can you tell if a company has a moat? Generally, they'll have a really recognizable brand. That's the first thing, because if you've got a great brand, you can charge premium prices like Gillette, for example. They invested a lot of money in their technology gives them a, a competitive advantage but it's the brand too that that is very powerful so you pay 24 dollars for a group of razors there instead of the big two dollar ones at the shop right so premium price is called pricing power apple has that mastercard can do that uh, moody's can do that uh, in fact moody's is probably the best business of all time i would say ever and a lot of people don't understand that they're like what moody's it's because it can create fraud in 2008, which it literally did, and it can still survive and produce returns on capital at like a thousand percent ROE. It's just ridiculous. You can almost buy that business at any price and win. That's how good it is. But these companies, they they have great brand, high switching costs, 
So like banks are like that where it's, oh, it's a pain to go and change banks or it's a pain to go from Apple to Samsung because I've got to learn a whole new operating system. It's painful to go from Microsoft to, to iOS. It's So what, what switching costs are there with the companies? And also with Facebook, for example, it's got a very strong, powerful network effect where it attracts people because of the people. So like P.T. Barnum used to say, nothing attracts a crowd quite like a crowd. And it's got a it's got a powerful network effect. And low cost producers or scale is another powerful moat. So if you add up all those moats, you get to a company like Apple, which has got probably one of the widest moats, got the best brand in the world. It's got, you know, people would, the last thing they'll ever get rid of is that. It is the stickiest product in the world. And it's got high switching costs. They have tremendous pricing power because I can buy that for like 1500 bucks. It's ridiculous. It's got more technology than the, the shuttle in bloody, you know, 1969. So that, that's an example of a company that has like, it's at the moment, it's 127% return on equity. It's buying back billions of its own shares and it's only selling at 28 times earnings. I think it's even undervalued today. So looking at a company of what you, where you want to put your money for 30 years or 40 years, that's what you look for. And return on equity is a measure of how wide a company's moat is. Hmm. So if I'm ever going to buy a stock, is the PE ratio lo- lower than the R return on equity? And if it is, it's like the magic. Joel Greenblatt talks about that. That's what you're looking for. I just gave you the ultimate stock tip secret ever. That's that's all you look for. If it's not doing that, don't flip and touch it. Right. Right. And yeah. No. That's that's great. I gotta, I want to do a, I want to do an exercise with you. So. I mentioned that that Instagram post. I, I posted, you know, ten things that you can look into, you know, on each stock, you know, before investing in, in it. So I want to. I'm going to go through the list, and I want you to tell me, in your opinion, is this something that you care about or something that you don't even pay attention to? All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the first one is revenue, revenue growth, and revenue expectations. Revenue expectations, no. Revenue growth, yes. Okay. Uh, second one is earnings, earnings per share growth and earnings per share expectations. Historical earnings per share growth. And yeah, that's it. Cash versus long-term debt. If it has enough cash to cover its long-term debt. It's, so they kind of, I look at, I would look at both together at the same time. Pricing power and slash increased margins. Well, I think pricing power because you know it can continue to increase its margins if it has pricing power. So you would care, you would look into that. Okay. Free cash yeah. flow. Huge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a big one. That's your number yeah. one so far. Okay. That's a big one. Yeah. Marketing and R and D spend. Yeah. I think it's important as a percentage of its, you know, revenue or it's a percentage of its cash flow. It's important because it fortifies the future moat, I think. Whether or not they're a market leader. Not so much. Why? Well, just curious because, because you feel like they've got more room to grow then, you know, because well, they, sometimes maybe they can... Yeah, sometimes the um, the incumbent market leader isn't innovating. And I think of IBM and Amazon just comes and whitewashes it with this cloud business. So uh, not always the, the market leader is the best. There's some, yeah, does it have a moat or not would be the, the question. And if it does, it's been better as number one, but it doesn't have to be. Is this a growing industry? Mm. No? Just looking for stability in the industry at least? Yeah, like I look at growing? banking, I guess it's about 200, 300 years old and I've, made a ton of money in banking stock. Fair enough. Yep. Is it a large total addressable market? So TAM, that's an, that's an acronym that I have on here. So another one, total addressable market. Mm, not so much. Okay. And then obviously the last one's a big fat yes, which was, does this company have a wide moat? Yes. That is yeah. the most important. Yeah. 
and I got it at number ten on my list. So hey, everybody's Dang. a little different, right? What a maybe trash I need to reevaluate. Gonna <laughs> 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 go ahead and delete that one. Yeah. Uh, these are in no particular order. No, that's, <laughs> that's a great checklist. I think there's some things on there that you can look. Sometimes it's subjective, but I think it's a great list. If yeah. you're doing those things and you can get most of them as a yes, I think you're on the right track for great business. You know, and the one, the mo one of the ones that wasn't mentioned that's obviously very important is is it selling for a reasonable price? Because, you know, not it, apart from Moody's, <laughs> I think every company, you know, if Apple was selling at 50 times earnings, I wouldn't be looking at it right now to buy it. But at 28 times earnings, I think it's still cheap, even at two and a half trillion. <laughs> it is an impressive business model for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a good example because like I've thought about getting a new phone, right? I have a, an Apple and I've thought about switching and I'm just like, it's not worth trying to learn, you know, a, a different like Samsung or whatever, you know, they've got us imprisoned, I think. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Pretty yeah. much. yeah, their ecosystem, I think we're only seeing the beginnings of their ecosystem. I, it's unbelievable. The Apple Pay system is just, I mean, I know, there's so many great businesses within that one business. Okay, so kind of switching gears here, right? So we're talking like a, a lot about investing. What is your mindset or outlook on investing versus paying off debt? Like if I have debt, should I be investing at all or should I just try to pay all that off? I did a podcast episode on this actually. I have my podcast, I just did little snippets and this is a one big one that kept coming up. And mathematically, if you have a mortgage, for example, and every dollar you put into that mortgage, you are earning 3% on that capital because your mortgage interest rate is 3%. So every dollar you put in your mortgage paid off, you're earning 3% on capital, which is fine, obviously, at the moment. And if you can go and invest that in, say, the S&P 500, and where it averages 9 or 10% a year, then, yeah, it could be a good idea to put it into the, into the S&P 500. But you've got to actually weigh it up based on financial peace of mind because i think that there's a an unknown advantage or there's a cost of financial stress and there's an advantage to financial peace like there's a value you can attach to sleeping well at night i think that people under underestimate so for me the paying off of the debt from a financial peace standpoint was far more valuable than nine percent a year it was just do you know what i mean so i looked you got to look at it from a, a subjective standpoint as well as just objective but if, if it was a clear-cut mathematical thing, go to where the returns are higher. But sometimes I'm not like that. You know, sometimes it's a bit more than mathematical. So, yeah, what, yeah. What, can you sleep well at night? If you can't, pay off your debt. Right. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like that gives me a lot of comfort because I paid off my car, like, maybe about a year ago. And it was one of those things where Which I like, ripped him for. Yeah. It's, one of our friends is a financial advisor. And I was like, should I pay this off? Like, what should I do here? And he's like, invest it. And I was like, I'm just going to pay off. <laughs> like, you know, it just feels better to me, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, I went through an experience and I, I did a separate episode on um, buying cars because I think it comes up a lot. We were going to, we bought a car in March, bought a Range Rover Sport, right? Nice car. People say, well, did you finance it or buy cash? Because I'm in my book. I'm like, no debt, no debt, no debt. I didn't have debt my whole life. So here I'm at this, this, this fork in the road, like, do I go and finance this thing or do I pay cash? And I, we financed it and I took the cash and I put it into an ANZ bank at $14 a share during March. And I made about 30 or $40,000 off that. So I almost paid for the car in my investment returns. 
Now, if you can do that, finance obviously makes more sense. But if you can't confidently, you don't have the cash capital to back it up, then perhaps slow, you know, paying paying it off is fine, depending on the price of the car too, I would say. Yeah, and the interest rates that you get and all that, and just personal situation. Everybody's different. Every situation is different. So, you know, like right now, interest rate interest rates on, you know, houses. I mean, most houses are are all real estate's crazy overpriced, but the like interest rates are lower than they've ever been too. So it's like a, you know, this this battle. Do I overpay for a house? You know, or like on a a mortgage, but get the lower interest rate and you know, all that kind of stuff or in, in Mike's situation, why we, I, he's my best friend from college. So I rip him for everything he does, regardless of whether I believe it or not. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was, you know, he has a good, had a good interest rate and, you know, we we're just like, just invest it, you know what I mean? Whatever. But um, yeah, I think that's a, that's always going to be a point of contention because when, anytime anybody speaks in absolutes about it. And what I, I love that you did is that you, you recognize and you acknowledge that it's, it's individual. Right. Yeah, totally. And everybody's yeah. got to understand that, like, what's best for me is not going to be best for Mike. What's best for Mike's not going to be best for Lloyd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. I have, you know, no problem having a mortgage, then I'm going to invest because I'm going to get more returns. But if I am afraid that I might lose my job or not have a roof over my head and that is a constant stressor, then like you said, there's a there's a cost to that, too. So definitely spot on. Mike, do you have any other questions i mean i could talk to lloyd all day and keep listening to that sexy accent but i want to <laughs> wrap up here eventually what do you, you got anything else for us i think i'm good yeah lloyd did we miss any key key components to you know money mindset and financial nuggets of oh, wisdom. i did i w- did want to say one thing i haven't read your book yet and i plan to when i heard the title money grows on trees and maybe you haven't used this analogy yet maybe i'm about to make your book even better but what I thought of the analogy was like the branches are different sources of income. So having multiple streams of income and how it does grow when you have trees. Maybe. Well, it's interesting. As you, as you read the book, I'll send you a copy of it. Uh, and and you, it talks about, well, there's this, in Ireland, there was a potato famine, right? Major, major potato. I think it was in the, uh, I forget what year it was before they all emigrated to New York City. But it, the potato famine created that immigration as well. But um, what happened with the Irish is they only planted one type of potato. And of course, what happened was a virus came and destroyed that potato and created all this famine. And if they had have just planted a different species or a different type or a different plant completely, they would have diversified their assets and they would have been okay. And I do talk about in the book to create an orchid of money trees of an orange tree, a lemon tree and so forth and develop those other incomes for sure. But treating money like a tree or, or an asset like a tree is really important because trees take time to grow. And the type of tree you choose is important because some are only evergreen, which means they don't drop fruit like Bitcoin and so on. You've got to actually sell the asset to make the money. And some wonderful trees drop apples all year long, like dividend you know, stocks that just keep producing like, you know, S and P 500. So choosing the tree is important and being patient and watching it grow and fertilizing it and looking after it is important too. So the important thing as a dad who cares about my yard more than just about anything other than my family <laughs> is just don't have those trees that drop those damn helicopters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be edible. Yeah. Yeah. None, none of that. 
yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's really cool, man. Yeah, uh, I feel like that was a really tactful way to just say DJs. I analogy was really dumb. No, it was really smart. See, the big the more branches and leaves you have on one tree, even the bigger that tree becomes. So you know, there you go. I like it. Um, awesome. Well, let's uh let's wrap this up here with some dad jokes. As always, Lloyd, I know you came unprepared as every other guest does because Mike doesn't prepare them properly, per the usual. <laughs> uh, do you did you get did you find one? Awesome. I actually I, I messaged my buddy who's like the king of dad jokes, and I said, "Listen, I'm on this show. It's live. I need a dad joke." He said, "Sorry, I was just driving across Tasmania, which he's on holiday season." <laughs> anyway. He said, do you still need one? I'm like, yeah, send it. So this is what he sent me. So this is him. Uh, I say, so I'll just talk to you, DJ. I say, hey, DJ, what's your, who's your favorite singer? And you say, Beyonce. Beyonce. And I say, really? Like, yep. I'm like, oh, well, whatever floats your boat. No, darling, that's buoyancy. <laughs> oh, God. That was actually, yeah, that was, we got to get this guy on the podcast, man. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty solid off the top of his head. And the accent sold it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that you called me darling has me fluttering <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I saw you blush. I, uh, I am, yeah. man. It's not the lighting. I got some good guests for you guys. This guy's a multimillionaire. You should get him. He's got an Australian accent. He's um he's really good. His name's Andrew. You should interview him. I've got these other guys, um Tony and and the guys. I got big Facebook group. I, I've got lots of guests for you guys. I'll send Shoot. them. Let's yeah. send them our way. Yeah. It makes sure. less work for us to find them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send them. Uh, Mike, That'd what do you awesome. got? All right, so mine's a little mine's a little risky. Oh gosh. Is that okay? This isn't an explicit episode. It's like not that. I don't think it's that risky. Okay. All right, this one's more for DJ than you, Lloyd. I'm sorry, but. Which sexual position produces the ugliest children? Probably you're going to say whichever one I was <laughs> conceived in. I don't know. Ask your mom. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Oh. You suck. That's gross to think about and also really hurtful. And I'm. Right, you know, I think you're beautiful. I don't. I didn't like that. Lloyd it's thinks okay. you're beautiful too. <laughs> it's all about what's on the inside. Um, Okay, so uh, I don't have a I don't have a joke, but I did take my kids to a zoo last week. There was only one animal. It was a shit zoo. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, that was pretty good. That took uh, me a sec. Good. There you go. Mean. Good. Uh, well, Lloyd, I appreciate having you on, man. Um, just a wealth of knowledge, and I uh, we got we got pretty deep in this one. We, we start talking monk stuff, and I mean, this is good stuff. This one's very uh, quotable. We're going to have lots of good micro content out of this one. So appreciate you coming on. And uh, um, everybody should definitely check out your book, uh, Money Grows on Trees. And then one that's coming out soon, or I don't know when you're writing it now, Money Buys Happiness. So Yeah, November. Awesome. So that's super exciting. Um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get you to send me a copy and we'll do a giveaway in our Discord or something. Yeah, yeah, let's the, do it. Copy. 100%. So. Definitely. Where uh, where else can the people find you? You got like a website or anything that people can find yet? Yeah, if they want to get any of my stuff, they just go to LloydJRoss.com. Lloyd's got two L's in it. One, the second one's silent. <laughs> LloydJRoss.com is a good place to go. There's a dad joke. <laughs> yeah, that's how you get my book. But also, you can go. If you get, I've got a free podcast, Money Grows on Trees, and my Instagram is Lloyd James Ross, and you can DM me. 
Follow me, Demi. I, I'm I'm doing reels at the moment. I'm I'm into the reels. So if you want to watch some reels, go, I need go to like... get into reels. That's like the best way to grow an Instagram account. It I just I, I can't yeah. can't do it. I'm too ugly and I don't have a sexy accent. So I, mean, it doesn't <laughs> I reckon work you can kill it. I reckon you can yeah. find. I'll I'll keep an eye out. Have you seen The Office, Lloyd? Yeah, you, I know like all the, of it. Yeah. Like the American version. I don't know if it's in the British version. I never watched the British version. I I see. I know that Steve. What's his name for? Uh, he's, Steve uh, Carell. Yeah. Yeah. He's... Well, if you're not a huge fan, you probably don't remember this scene. But there's a there's this whole segment about um, this fake salesman that they set up, and his name is Lloyd Gross. So when when Mike signed you up for for a podcast, and I saw Lloyd Ross, like my I could not stop seeing <laughs> Lloyd Gross, and I just like that's all I could think about was that like you're this this fake salesman from the office. There so that's pretty, pretty funny. Any of our office fans will appreciate that. But all right, man. Well, I appreciate it. It's been great having you on. Uh, if you guys aren't already part of our community, uh, you know, check out Stock Dads on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we do have a premium discord community. You can sign up for that at stockdads.com slash plans, uh, check out Lloyd's book and, and follow him as well. And, you know, you guys will be like we mentioned the episode investing in yourself. So yeah, with that, I mean, I'm just going to wrap it up. You guys got any parting words? No, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Sweet. You guys are so incredibly like deep. That was awesome. I really appreciate those parting words. <laughs> you both are like. No, I have nothing else to say. Shut up and end this. <laughs> I have nothing to add. Yeah, yeah. Uh, perfect. All right, guys. Well, we're out. Uh, we'll wrap this up. Talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. Leave a five-star review and join our premium community on Discord at stockdads.com slash plans. You can also follow us on all major social media platforms. But most importantly, stay off the grass.